seated. As I said this morning, I'm not going to preach from the uh, traditional Christmas story. I'm going to do something a little non-traditional, so if you want to start finding your way to the book of Ecclesiastes, you can. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9 uh, this morning. But as we've mentioned uh, throughout our Advent series, kind of leading up to uh, Christmas morning, we, we don't remember the, the Advent, uh, the first Advent of our Savior, simply to, to celebrate his birth and kind of it ends at that. Where it's the, the Advent season isn't meant for us simply to look backward. The Advent season is meant for us to look backward and see God's faithfulness, which draws our eyes forward to our Lord's second coming, his, his second advent. This is, kind of, this is what we're here uh, this morning to do. We're, we're here to look forward to our Lord's second coming. We, we sing songs about in celebration of his first coming, and it's, it's good for us to do that. But when you do that, please remember that the same God who faithfully sent his son, Jesus Christ, whose mother wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, the same faithfulness that God proved at that point in history almost 2,000 years ago, he is faithful and true and will do exactly what he has said he has done in his word and will send his son again. And we have a great hope in that. As I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Scripture talks about how we ought to live in, in light of the second coming of Christ. Peter talks about, uh, he says in, in 2 Peter, that we ought to have lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So this morning, what I want to do, uh, just for a short time, is, is look at one aspect of a holy and godly life in the light of our Savior's second coming. You might wonder, why, why then would we turn to Ecclesiastes to do that? Ecclesiastes, we, we all have, and, and I have for, for many, many years, seeing Ecclesiastes is just a, a book that kind of tells us, you live your life to the fullest, and you're just going to be disappointed in the end. It's the book that says, you do all these things, you, you, gain, you gain money, you gain Women, I, I believe it's probably Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes. You gain all, all the wealth and luxuries and comforts of life just to die. It's kind of the message that I've always seen in, Ecclesi- in Ecclesiastes. But there's hope in Ecclesiastes. And there's actually found in Ecclesiastes a way that we ought to, as believers, as Christians live our lives in godliness and holiness. Ecclesiastes starts uh, in chapter 1, verse 2. It's, one of, I think, one of those famous opening lines of any writing. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And again, we, we read that and that sets the tone. Like, okay, everything he says from here on out is about vanity. It's all worthless. Well, the, the Hebrew word there 
can be translated as, as breath or breeze. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us is life is fleeting. Life is but a breath. Another, word, another way of saying, uh, of translating verse 2 could be, the merest of breaths, the merest of breaths, everything is but a breath. Life is fleeting. One author uh, that I was reading this week, he says Ecclesiastes is about, is about living life backward. He says the author shows us the end. The end is death for everyone. Death doesn't escape any of us. But now that we know the end, how ought we to live our lives accordingly? Well, you know, we, we talk about this from a Christian perspective, but the world has its own perspective. The world could see the point of living your life to the fullest because they say this is your one chance. This is your one shot. After this, they might read Ecclesiastes and kind of see the, the um, more kind of depressing approach to it. Death comes to everyone, so you might as well grab life by the reins and just enjoy it. Live your life to the fullest. But there's a sense that Christians ought to be doing the same. But, but as the world sees it as live your life to the fullest, fullness because this is the only life you get, the believer ought to say, no, we live our life to the fullest because we know there's more to come. Christ said that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. The fullness of that abundance certainly is going to be realized in the new heaven and new earth. Certainly. But Jesus doesn't say you're not going to have an abundant life now. Now he does promise, promise suffering. He does promise pain. So this isn't a uh, health, wealth, and prosperity message. But it is a way that we are supposed to view life as believers. We're not supposed to um, just kind of sit and wait for Christ to come, just grin and bear it. I think we have a, a difficulty, though, sometimes, because as believers, we understand the fall. We understand how sin and misery has entered the world. We see all, all of the destruction and pain, and we experience so much of that ourselves. So we think, really, what does this life have to offer? And we might find ourselves kind of in that place where we are just kind of grinning and bearing it. Like, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's a good thing for us to say. That's what, that's what John says at the, end of, uh, at the end of Revelation, the end of our, of our full revelation of God. He says, come, Lord Jesus, come. So there's an aspect that as the believer, we are groaning in, in anticipation for our Savior to come. But that doesn't mean we hide in the corner. In fact, uh, a lot of, if you read like Peter, he has allusions back to, uh, to uh, Judah's uh, exile in Babylon. And li- listen to the instructions that God gave to the exiles in Babylon. In, in Jeremiah 29, verse 5, he says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. 
Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So looking back on that exile, Peter kind of takes that in, in his epistle and says, hey, we are pilgrims. We are exiles. We're not home yet. But very much like the children of Israel in, ex- in exile, we're not supposed to just sit and wait. We're supposed to live lives. We are supposed to be productive members of society. Build houses. Marry. Have a family. All of these things uh, we can see from uh, the one exile and kind of carry over into our, our own exile as as we wait for the great salvation that we'll see through Christ. But as we think about that, as we think about, on one hand, the world saying, hey, live life to the fullness, and on the other uh, side, as believers, saying, yeah, we can enjoy life, really kind of need to take that to the nth degree. Because not only do do we know the end is death, and we have eternal life to look forward to, But we know just the fullness of that joy, the fullness of that eternal life. Before I actually read out of uh, Ecclesiastes, I just want to read a couple other passages. Peter again, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And this isn't just how Peter writes. Paul writes the same way that the passage that we quote so often because it's so rich and wonderful. Romans 8. Romans 8, just a couple verses from... I would love to read almost the entirety of the chapter. It's so good. But just a couple verses, 38 and 39. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So not only do we know the end uh, is death, but I, I think it was pointed out, Ryan, I think pointed this out in something he had heard is so often in the New Testament when the death of believers are, is talked about, it's talked about as, as, as falling asleep. Because we don't just look forward to death, we look forward to eternal life. The Bible says that once we die, we're instantaneously with the Lord So we look forward to eternal life. We look forward to the many riches that we just read out of uh, from Peter and Paul. We have a a steadfast hope, an anchor of our soul that we know there is so much more past death to look forward to. So with knowing the end, the question is how do we live our life backwards? when we celebrate and consider and ponder the end 
the new heavens and the new earth, where we will be with God, he will be our God, and we will be his people, living with him in peace, no more sin, no more tears. Then we get a taste of that in Ecclesiastes. Let me read the passage that I want to look at this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Again, all the days of your life that is but a breath that he is giving you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, the grave to which you are going. God wants us to enjoy the many gifts he has given us. And more than that, he wants us to recognize that each and every gift that he has given us is from him. And he wants us to delight. He wants us to find enjoyment in the gifts that he has given us. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We need to be a people who recognize that the many blessings and gifts, even in the midst of sorrows and heartache and pain, that everything, every gift that God has given us, he has given us to delight in and to enjoy. Christmas, I think, provides just kind of wonderful uh, illustration for all of this. Uh, we, give, we think of Christmas gifts, and I know as a, as a, as a dad, Courtney is a mom, we find so much joy in seeing our, our boys' eyes pop open, their mouths drop open when they open a gift that we have thoughtfully considered like, oh, Reese is going to love this. Ellis is going to love this. And when they open it up and we see the expression on their face, we have our phones out to capture what we hope is going to be wonderful. It, it brings so much joy to us as parents to see them delighting in the gift that we have given them. Now what's, what could be sad is when we don't get the response that we expected. You know, sometimes, I know I, I've, I've done this, both as a child as the, and as an adult, it's like, oh, thank you. You know? So, it, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it's the thought that counts. I don't say that out loud. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. But really, it, it is so good not only, it's so good to, to give gifts, it's so, it's so good to receive gifts, and it's especially good, I, I received this wonderful pair of, of uh, socks from Ellis, Fruit Loop socks. They're bright and colorful and wonderful because they came from my little boy. But it's a sad thing to, to see a gift received and it's not delighted in. Or something we experienced last Christmas. We, we gave a, a gift to, to Reese, a little uh, set with dinosaur skeletons and clay. And the idea is that you kind of 
can mold and you mold your dinosaur around the skeleton and have these cool little dinosaurs that you can have. And he, he received it with joy, but then it just sat unopened on his desk for a while. And eventually, we had a clear space on the desk, so it moved into a closet and sat on a shelf in there. During that time, there was a bit of, little bit of prompting, you know, on those days where kids are bored and say, there's nothing to do. Like, well, you got this perfect, perfectly good gift that's sitting on your desk. It's this clay dinosaur that you can build. Eh. But what happened this year that was wonderful, I think this happened three weeks ago. All of a sudden, he goes in the closet. He found this thing that had been collecting dust. He pulled it out. And next thing we know, he's coming to us with this awesome-looking dinosaur. And that thrilled our hearts. Like, yes, he finally found joy in a gift that we had given him almost a year ago. It had been wasting away for so long in a closet. But now he's loving it. And he shared it with his little brother. And they built dinosaurs and shared dinosaurs with one another. And now, even now, sitting on the end of his bed is this clay dinosaur. And as parents, we love that sort of thing. We love seeing uh, our children delight in the gifts that we have given them. Christ says as much what we can expect uh, from him. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will not give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? This is the mind of our Father. He wants to lavish us with good gifts. Beyond what we typically think of of the gifts of salvation, He wants to pour out even so much more than we can even ask or think upon us. He wants to lavish us in His love and His mercy and His good gifts. He is the good shepherd, the good Father, who who gives us so much more than we could ever even imagine. We think of things like our justification and our sanctification and our adoption. And those things should blow our mind. But as I said at the beginning, sometimes we take those ideas and then we come over here and just see the doldrum, the drudgery of life. We think, oh, life is so hard. Marriage is so hard. Parenting is so hard. Work is so hard. Food just doesn't taste as sweet as it used to taste. But he's, God is saying to us, hey, I am your father who is giving you such wonderful gifts as adoption and sanctification and adoption, and I don't stop there. I continue to pour out my goodness and favor on you, and I want you to recognize that. I want you to take those things that I have given you that you've, you're sitting on, on the dusty shelf. I want you to pull them out and enjoy them and use them. This is what he says. Then in Ecclesiastes 9, looking at some of the things that the preacher 
here tells us, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. As you go home today and maybe have your Christmas meal, enjoy and savor each bite. Enjoy your drink, whether it be cider or adult beverage, whatever it might be, enjoy it. And remember, it's a gift from God. Recognize it as more than just what you were able to provide because you earned the money to get it. But recognize it as God's good favor being poured out upon you. That he, who did not even spare his own son, is also giving you so much more to enjoy. He wants us, even in the smallest of things like sitting down and eating a meal, he wants us to enjoy our food and our drink in light of him. Recognizing it as a gift from him and enjoying it in light of his grace. The preacher continues, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. I don't like an oily head, but back in these days, an oily head was a really good thing. When, when Christ, on his Sermon on the Mount, talks about the Pharisees, he says, don't be like the Pharisees who when, you fat, when they fast, they go out of their way to look gloomy. They don't anoint their head with oil. They want everyone to notice that they are sad, that they're fasting, and it hurts them. And please recognize me and heap praises on me. The life that we're supposed to live in Christ and enjoyment of him, he says, be be happy. Wear your white garments. Anoint your head with oil. Be fresh and invigorated for life. We're not supposed to walk around as believers looking like Eeyore. We're supposed to be excited and we should have that thrilling dynamic about us that says, I know my end and my end is so sweet that I can live even in this life of sin and misery in enjoyment of the many things that my father my heavenly Father still gives me. Verse 9, he says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because it is, it is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy a family Again, I think it's so appropriate on a day like today when many of us will probably go and have family around and enjoy being in the company of those we love. When you do that, look around at each face and think, God has given me these people. He has, as, as hard as they can be and as hard as it is when we think of those who have already gone. I was with my family yesterday and thinking of my father who, who died earlier this year. And the holidays do that to us. We remember those who have gone before us into the, their heavenly inheritance. And it, it brings sadness to our hearts. And yet at the same time, there's praise and glory that we can offer up to, to Christ as we remember the great enjoyment that they are having even now. 
But he says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Being married, as we some often say, is a sanctifying relationship. And parenting is a sanctifying relationship. It's hard. But let's not, as believers, overlook the blessing that God has given us and enjoy our spouse, enjoy our children, enjoy our friends, enjoy the fellowship of believers. Don't miss it. That's what, that's what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is saying. You know the end. Live your life backwards. Don't miss the many blessings that God is giving you. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Work. Some people love it. Some people don't. Some people love it some of the time and hate it some of the time. Whereas it's mixed. Work is hard. Here he's saying, enjoy your work. Do, we read in the New Testament, do your work as unto the Lord. Do it with all your might. Put your hand to it. Enjoy it as a blessing that God has given us. In fact, in, in 1 Timothy, it's, it's interesting as we see in various uh, epistles, the uh, warnings of false teachers, things that, that these false teachers are going to come along and teach us that are wrong, that, that go against God's word, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes to this young pastor, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything to be created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. It's the, it's the teaching of, the, of those false teachers that comes in and says, no, don't get married. Don't find enjoyment in those things. Don't, don't enjoy food. You should abstain from those foods that are extra sweet and extra delicious. You want to withhold yourself from those things. And God is saying, no, don't leave it on the shelf. I have given it to you to enjoy. Just recognize who has given it to you and enjoy it in light of my grace. Closing. We, I, want, I want to just use an uh, example of uh, someone that we talk about frequently around here because we love the Reformation. We love the Reformation truths. Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who's known for his 95 theses, whether he nailed it up on the door or not, he, he's known for challenging the Roman church. We might think of him at Worms as he's defending the faith and refusing to back down and recant. Well, sometimes we don't focus on Martin Luther's later life. 
At the age of 42, he married Martin Luther, an ex-monk, married Katerina, an ex-nun. Martin and Katie had six children, and there was heartache in there as some children passed. But from every account we have, there's a description of the Luther home that I think is so applicable to the message today. Say The Luther home was filled with music. Martin Luther wrote hymns. He loved music. It's filled with music, filled with family. He loves spending his time with Katie and his children. As, much, as busy as he was with his writings, he loved being in his home with his family. And he loved filling his home with friends. If you ever have the, the magazine Table Talk, that came from the Luther home because he had his friends over and did his table talks. They discussed deep theological conversation, uh, deep theologies and doctrines and just enjoyed the things of God around family and, and music. Little artist renderings usually show a, the family and friends gather around, the fire going, a dog on the floor. Luther had a stein in his hand because Luther enjoyed a good beer from time to time. He was not, you'd think of all people. Surely he's a man who kind of just never had time for that sort of thing. Who pushed on until his dying day. Well, he did. He did push on until his dying day, but he didn't neglect also the great gifts that God had given him and his wife and his children in good food and good drink and good friends. His home was filled with it. I think when we think uh, it, along these lines, we might understand a little bit more what, what Paul says in Philippians when he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We sometimes as Christians just look, fo- look at death. Like, okay, that's our gain. Paul says to live is Christ. So as you go about your day-to-day, enjoying good food, enjoying good family, enjoying good friends. As you go back to work next week, this week, whenever that might be for you. Don't fail to neglect that these things are gifts that have been given to you by your Heavenly Father. Yes, He has given us justification. Yes, He has given us sanctification. Yes, He's adopted us and made us sons and daughters, but He has also given us gifts of family and friends and good food and good wine to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy in light of him, see him as that great gift giver and to enjoy them in light of his grace. Take those things off the shelf, blow the dust off and enjoy it. Enjoy them. More than a non-believer could ever enjoy it because we're not worshiping these things. We're not using and abusing these things. We are using them in the light of our gracious Savior, our gracious Heavenly Father, who has given us these wonderful gifts to enjoy from Him. As we move toward communion, we just have uh, an opportunity 
to, to think about what God has done for us in Christ. He has done so much more than we can even imagine, so much more than we could even ask or think. I'm going to pray. We're going to enjoy the elements together. I would say this. We take communion as a celebration of what God has done for us in Christ. If you don't believe the gospel message, if you don't believe that God has sent his son to rescue you because you are sinful and needed a savior, if you're not ready to grab onto that belief and that hope, we just ask that you let the elements pass you by because we don't want you to be confused. We don't want you to believe that these things somehow save you or keep you safe. No, these are an expression of our celebration of what God has already done for us in Christ, that we get to feast upon Christ in this way. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for all that you have given us. I pray that as we go about our days today, even now as we take communion, let us not overlook that this is a blessing from you. Let us not overlook that those who are in this room are a blessing from you, that you have given us your church, this fellowship of the saints to enjoy, to encourage one another. As we go our way and have our family meals, gather around good food and good drink, help us to enjoy those things. Even in the difficulties and the pain and the sorrow of life, help us not to overlook the many and wondrous gifts that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.